0: We, um, the title is The Blessed Life, and so here's how I want to start tonight. We're thinking blessed life, blessings, th- being thankful, all of that kind of stuff. So here's what I want, to, I want to start off by asking this question. What is a blessing in your life? And I don't want you to start yelling at me or anything, but I want you to think about that question. What is a blessing in your life? And as you're thinking about that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take just 30 seconds and I want you to turn to somebody around you. And I want you to tell them a blessing in your life. Alright? Something that you're thankful for. Some kind of blessing that, that you're thankful for in your life. So go ahead and take 30 seconds and do that. Hey, if um, guys in the room, if you turn to like the pretty girl next to you and you, say, and you said, you're a blessing in my life. Um, then you're, you're pathetic right now. Alright? You're pathetic. So hopefully you guys had some things you were talking about and things that you're thankful for and all that kind of stuff. Some of them might have been cheesy. Some of them might have been really spiritual and amazing and you wowed the person next to you and whatever. I, um, over the last couple of days, I, I kind of posed this question to my kids when we were telling them goodnight or whatever. And so I'd sit down and I'd say, hey, what, what is something you're thankful for? And as you can imagine, of having a six, four and a 2-year-old, like the, the range of answers were all over the place. So... I got stuff from, I'm thankful for um, my food, to their PJs, to their superhero toys, to chicken nuggets, and Jesus. Um, And hopefully not in that order. But there was just, I mean, all kinds of randomness that was thrown out. And so hopefully your answers might have been, they might have been as, you might be as thankful for chicken nuggets as they are. I don't know, but (laughs) who doesn't love a good chicken nugget? So we're talking about the blessed life. All right, And throughout this series, what we're going to do, is a study on Ephesians chapter 1. All right, That's where we're going. And the challenge for all of us is just to kind of take a step back and go, what, what are these things? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? That we think rules, regulations, we think it's a bunch of junk, we think it's a boring life and all this kind of stuff. But the reality is that we as men and women who choose to follow Jesus, who trust Him as our Savior and who make a decision to follow Christ, we live the blessed life. And so what exactly does that mean? And so it's less about chicken nuggets and, you know, we're thankful for the food that we eat and, and the job that we have and all that kind of stuff. And, and a, little bit, a little bit deeper, what does this actually look like? So we're looking at, at, um, at Ephesians chapter 1 over the course of this series. And because we're starting back at the beginning... And where we're going through the whole years is in the book of Ephesians, but now we're kind of starting at the beginning. And so what I wanted to be able to do is just take a couple of minutes and give us a little bit of background in terms of this book that we're about to dive into, okay? Um, How many of you guys are history buffs in the room? You love history, like me. All right. The rest of you guys need to get a life and start paying attention in history class or watch the history channel. So I'm a, I'm a history nerd, and I, I will admit that. So for, for history nerds in the room, we unite on this because this is history, and so it's awesome. And it will only be a minute or two. But I want to be able to kind of set up why this book was written, what was going on during that time. And so I think for us just to have a little bit of background to further understand and get a better insight into what's going on in this book. So the, uh, the book of Ephesians was written to the church of Ephesus. Alright, the church in Ephesus, we've got a map if you want to go ahead and throw that up. Um, you see Ephesus there, this was kind of biblical times, this is what the, uh, the map looked like. You can see Ephesus there kind of in the middle. And, um, and that's kind of what it looks like. Now, at that day and time, Ephesus was a Roman province of Asia Minor. All right, That is now modern day Turkey, All right, which I'm sure all of you guys knew that. I'm sure I didn't surprise any of you by saying that. So that was modern-day Turkey, but it was kind of a province of Asia Minor at the time. The city of Ephesus, all right? Now, what are some things about Ephesus? What, what, was, what was so unique about that city? Here's a couple things. Ephesus was the center of travel and commerce, all right? So, and you can see it on the map. I mean, it's kind of centrally located, so if people were traveling from one place, of, um, one place in the Roman Empire to another, a lot of times they were traveling through Ephesus, all right? So it was a hotbed for travel, for commerce, there was a lot of stuff going on, a lot of people passing through town, uh, and one of the reasons why is that it was a city with a major seaport. So there were ships coming in and out of that, they were carrying people, they were carrying goods, all of that kind of stuff all over the, uh, the Roman Empire. The other thing that's interesting about this city is that it had one of the largest theaters in that day and time. It had a 25,000 seat theater. Um, And we've got a picture of it. Go ahead and throw that up. There is a a modern, that's what it actually looks like now. So it's still up. It still exists. And um, just a really cool to be able to walk around that and see, could get 25,000 people in that. I mean, imagine seeing a Taylor Swift concert in that sucker. Um, Might make her music more enjoyable. Just kidding, just kidding. I, loved, I love you, Taylor. So, 25,000 seat theater, give you an idea of, of what kind of that looked like. Because it was such a, a well traveled city, a lot of commerce, a lot of goods coming through town, it was a very wealthy city. And so, there were large wealthy houses um, that existed in that, in that city. The other thing, and this is one of the biggest things, and this kind of leads into where we're going there was a major temple for the Greek goddess Diana that existed in this city. All right, now this temple was, you might think that's not that big of a deal, but this temple was such a big deal that it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. All right, it was so big and so dynamic and so different that it was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So this was a big deal. Now this temple was a metropolis for demon worship. All right, so there was all kinds of pagan ceremonies, all kinds of stuff in celebration of this, this Greek goddess Diana and other gods and goddesses that, that existed in that day and time. So this was a, a pretty ex, extravagant temple, but a big deal in that city and a big deal in that region. In fact, it was such a big deal that if you guys look at Acts chapter 19, and you can flip there later, the Apostle Paul actually started a riot as he was in the, um, the city of Ephesus over the temple of Diana. And so it was such a, a big deal, and a major contro- Christianity was such a major controversy in that city because of all of the pagan worship that was going on, and so uh, Paul was getting into some into some trouble in that city as well. So that gives you a little bit of background about the city. Now, why was the why was the book of Ephesians written? Ephesians was written in AD sixty and sixty one. All right, so that was about the time frame that it was written. Now, Paul at the time, the Apostle Paul was a prisoner in Rome, and he was awaiting trial for, uh, to stand before Caesar. And he a short time later would be, would be beheaded for his, his faith. So Paul's in a Roman prison. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. We talked about Ephesians 4.1 where he says, I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord. So Paul is in a prison in Rome awaiting trial before Caesar. And he's writing to the church of Ephesus. Because of the worship of other gods, the church was vulnerable to the lies that were going on all around them. There were beliefs that existed in that city that were in stark contrast to Christianity. And those worldly influences were a significant danger to the church. So Paul is actually writing this book of of Ephesians in part to empower and to encourage the elders of the church... To guard and to protect the church from all of these lies and all of these things, these false teachings. All right, so Paul is is basically saying, hey, you elders of the church, you've got to guard your heart. You've got to protect your mind and and this church that you were entrusted with. Because there's all kinds of lies and all kinds of false teachings that are going on in this city. And if you don't guard your heart, you're going to watch this church get led astray into all kinds of junk. So that's why Paul wrote this book. Now it's interesting when you think about the parallels to what the church was experiencing in that city and us now. I mean, don't you and I face the same dangers? Don't us as a church face the same dangers today? Doesn't our world worship other things that are in stark contrast to this Christian life that we that we, we want to live? I mean, don't you and I have to be on guard in our faith to make sure that we guard our hearts and we protect our lives from all of these lies and all of these worldly influences that would love to pull us out and astray from the life that God has for us. I, mean, I think there's a lot of parallels between what the church was experiencing then and what we as followers of Jesus now in this day and time and in this culture We've got to guard our hearts. We've got to protect ourselves from lies. And one such lie we're going to actually going to cover tonight. Now here's, what I, here's a question I want to throw out to you. Do you guys ever struggle, and you don't have to answer this, is more of a rhetorical question. Do you guys ever struggle with knowing who you are? Is that a struggle? Is that a ever, ever a question that comes into your mind? Is that ever something that you wrestle with in your heart and in your life? Of wondering who you are. I would bet if a lot of us were honest enough tonight. I think that's a common struggle for many of us. There might be some of you guys in the room right now that go, Man, that's a struggle in my life today, in this moment. I don't know who I am. I think sometimes we get confused either with who we are. Or because maybe we don't know who we are, we allow all of these other influences to kind of shape us and and help create our identity. In fact, I believe that a lot of pain that we exist in our life happens because we don't know who we are. I think there's a lot of pain that we go through because we don't have a firm grasp on our identity. And there are so many things that we think sometimes our identity is wrapped up in. And sometimes it's significant things. Sometimes it's just stupid stuff. But we think, we think sometimes that our identity is wrapped up in our popularity. How cool we are at school, how popular we are. Sometimes we feel like that That kind of helps shape, shape uh, who we are. Maybe it's our grades that we get into school. Maybe it's academics, what we're going to do with our life, where we're going to go to college when we graduate high school. Maybe we, we allow our looks to, to kind of help shape our identity or we think that our looks play a part in, in defining who we are. Maybe it's whether or not we make the team. Maybe it's what people think of us. Maybe it's our relationship status. You know, our identity is defined by whether or not we're in a relationship with a boy or a girl. I mean, there are so many things that we allow to, to help shape and create our identity and we allow to define us. And there are so many things that maybe there are words that we use to describe ourselves. Maybe when you think of yourself, maybe it's when you're alone in your room at night, maybe it's when no one else is listening or no one else knows kind of what thoughts go through your head. Maybe these are the, the questions that you have, maybe these are the things that you allow to shape your identity. Maybe these are the words that you use to define you. You use words like, man, I'm, I'm just a failure, man, I'm a mistake. Or I'm just, you know, even as Christians, we say, I'm just a sinner. I mean, even for, for us as followers of Jesus in this room, these are questions that we have. These are things that we wrestle with. These are things that we struggle with. And so much of our problems come because we don't know who we are. And when we're alone and no one else is around, man, we wrestle with these things and we don't know who we are. And we allow all of these other things to define us and to influence us. And we look at our life and we use words like failure and mistake and sinner to describe who we are. But is that really who we are as followers of Jesus? Is that who God says that we are? Is that really, at the end of the day, is that our identity? Are those things our identity? There's a, um, there's a Native American fable That goes something like this. It says there was once a young boy who came across a nest of golden eagle eggs. Deciding to have some fun he took one of the eggs and he placed it in the nest of some prairie chickens. The egg hatched and the young eagle grew up with a group of prairie chickens. Believing himself to be like everyone else around him. He behaved just like the chickens. He clucked and he cackled and he scratched in the dirt for seeds and insects to live on. Since prairie chickens can't fly very well, the young eagle never flew more than a few feet off of the ground. Years passed, and one day the young eagle was scratching along with the other chickens when a huge shadow passed over them. They looked up and they saw, high in the sky, the soaring form of something gliding on the currents of the wind. What a beautiful thing, the young eagle exclaimed. That's an eagle, the older brother told him, staring upward. A golden eagle. He's the king of the air. No bird can compare with him. Then he lowered his gaze and he added, But don't give it a second thought. You could never be like him. And back to scratching they went. Indeed, the eagle never gave another thought to that soaring sight. And he died as he had lived, never rising any higher than a prairie chicken's existence. I wonder how many of us resonate with that story. I think that story for for some of us tonight describes us at the moment. And I want to just give you guys some insight. And and maybe this is something that you know. Maybe this is something that you understand or or you feel like should be true or whatever. But the reality is as, as followers of Jesus, you were meant to soar. You and I were meant to experience this incredible, passionate love affair with the Creator. That you and I were meant to experience this incredible life with meaning and purpose and calling. A life like no other. To rise above this dark world and to experience a life that that no one else experiences. The sad thing is, many of us spend our time scratching along the ground, messing around with sin, and experiencing just a lifeless relationship with Christ. And a lot of times it happens because we don't know that God's created us to be eagles. We don't know that God has created us to experience this incredible life. We don't know our true identity. Dr. Neil T. Anderson, who's uh, an author, and he wrote books like um, Bondage Breaker, and he's got a ministry out there. And he, he said this, he said, It has been our observation that every struggling and defeated Christian had one thing in common. None of them knew who they were in Christ, and they didn't understand what it meant to be a child of God. I think a lot of us are that way. We struggle because we don't know what our identity is. Now here's what I'm going to do tonight. I want to go ahead and and give you guys the main point and have you guys write this down and then we're going to expound on it and kind of talk a little bit about it. But here's the main point. So go ahead and get your pens out write this down. We are blessed with an identity that's based not on what we do but on who God is. We are blessed with an identity that's based not on what we do but on who God is. Now we mentioned over the course of this series that we're in Ephesians chapter one, so go ahead and, and look at your Bibles now, and let's look at what Paul has to say in, uh, in the beginning of this chapter. He starts off, he says this, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, Paul starts out, and what he says in verse 3 is kind of the framework for this entire series. All right, look back at what he says in verse 3. He says, we in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. We have every spiritual blessing. As followers of Jesus, you and I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Now, Paul is not talking about good health. He's not talking about... A new iPad, he's not talking about a job, he's not talking about getting good grades on a test or having food on the table to eat every day. All right, all of those things are blessings and those things are great and we should be thankful for that stuff, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. All right, he's not talking about these temporary things. Paul says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He's talking about these blessings that as followers of Jesus, God gives us because we are united with Christ. Because we belong to Him. These are blessings that God gives us. And over the course of this series, we're going to look at kind of these blessings. What are these things that that God gives us as a follower of Him? And so the first one we're going to look at tonight that's in your notes is our identity in Christ. All right, Our first blessing, our first heavenly blessing... This spiritual blessing that we've been given is our identity in Christ. Now look back at this passage, at these these terms, these phrases that Paul uses to describe who we are in Christ. He says we are God's holy people. He says we are faithful followers. He says we are united with Christ. There are some versions that that call us saints. We are saints of God. At the end he says we are holy and without fault in his eyes. I mean these are things that Paul uses to describe us as followers of Jesus. This is who we are. Now I mentioned earlier that sometimes we think of ourselves as a sinner or as a failure. And even us as, as Christians, we, we kind of identify ourselves. We're like, oh, I'm just a sinner. Man, I'm just a sinner. And we've got songs that sing how, you know, we've got these phrases that say, oh, we're, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And, and it sounds good and it sounds awesome. And, man, the reality is, man, we are, I mean, it's by God's grace that we have what we have. And we're to be thankful for that. It's not anything we've earned on ourselves. It's, it's something that God has given us through, through, the, gro- through the cross and, and because of his grace. And so that part is true. But the fact that we say, man, we are sinners saved by grace. And there's even an old hymn that says, I'm just a sinner. I'm not even going to sing it for you. <laughs> I started to, and I said no. But there are, there are songs that we sing that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And we think that that's right, and we think that that sounds all right. We think that that's an accurate statement, but what that's actually saying is you and I, our identity is a sinner. But that doesn't line up with what Paul describes us as. Using words like sinner and failure and mistake and those kind of things to describe us, even as our life in Christ, is completely contradictory to these words that Paul's using here and what God actually defines us as. See, the truth is you and I are not sinners. You and I are saints of God. You and I are faithful followers of him. You and I are children of God. We are holy and blameless in his sight. God looks at us and he sees his son, Jesus. When we've accepted the forgiveness that Jesus offers through the cross, we have God's forgiveness and God looks at us and he sees us as saints. He looks at us and he sees perfection. He looks at us and he sees holiness. He doesn't look at us and see a sinner. He doesn't look at us and see all of the crap that that exists in our life. In terms of our standing with God, God looks at us and he calls us saints of God. And we say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Here's the, here's the truth for all of us that claim to love Jesus. We are not sinners who have the capacity to be saints. We are saints who have the capacity to sin. All right, now let me say that again. You and I, as followers of Jesus, we are not sinners who have the capacity to be saints. We are saints who still have the capacity to sin. Now, the differences between the two are huge. There's something that we can't just gloss over and just go, oh, man, that's just kind of semantics. That is not the case. The, the, The differences are night and day. And we've got to understand and identify ourselves as followers of Jesus, that God looks at us and we are saints. We are faithful followers of Christ. We are holy and blameless in his sight. That we are holy people of God. And I'm going to challenge you guys in the room tonight to not let the enemy or anyone else deceive you into thinking otherwise. Now, it doesn't mean that we always act like it. It doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes and that we don't walk around and, and screw things up or fall short or get into sin. All right, Those things happen. But it, those things don't define who we are. Those things aren't our identity in Christ. Our identity is found in who God is, and we are saints of God. It's not in what we do, it's not in what we do or don't do for God, it's in who God is. And God looks at us and He says, You are mine, you belong to me, you are a saint. You guys have got to, we've got to get our mind around that and understand that that's who we are. And if you reject that, or if you fail to believe that, then you will struggle. This is foundational in terms of our relationship with God. We've got to walk out the room knowing we are saints of God. That is our identity in Christ. Now, go back to a minute for, um, go back for a minute to the, uh, the example of the eagle. All right. And kind of the difference between us saying that we're sinners who have the capacity to be saints and we're saints who have the capacity to sin. When we say that we are sinners who have the capacity to be saints, what we're saying is at the core of who we are, we are sinners. All right, that's part of life. That's who we are. And when we look at being who God's called us to be, when we look at being a saint, a lot of times that life in Christ seems over our head and out of reach. We look at that and we go, man, don't give it another thought. You could never be like that. And when there's sin that exists in our life, we go, ah, we throw up our hands and go, man, that's just who I am. That's just part of life. That's part of who I am. It's not that big of a deal. That's, that's my identity. And we kind of walk around going, you know what, sin's not really that big of a deal. I live on this earth. I'm human. I fall short. Who really cares? cares? And we look at our capacity to be saints and we go, man, if I would just try hard enough and maybe if I just have a really good day, then maybe I'll conjure up enough strength and I'll be able to be a saint. I'll be able to live out this life that God's called me to live. But most of us, we look most of the time and go, man, that's just out of reach. There's no way that I could possibly live up to that standard. And that's what it looks like when we identify ourselves as as sinners who may have the capacity to be saints. But man, when we understand that God has created us to be eagles, that God has created us to soar in our relationship with Christ, that God has created us to experience this incredible life with purpose and meaning, this abundant life in Him, that we understand and we grab a hold of the fact that we are saints, then all of a sudden we look and we go, man, why would I mess around with the dirt? Why would I lower myself and become some prairie chicken that kind of scratches around in the dirt and mess around with sin and all that kind of stuff? When God has called me and created me and I rise above that, I have an opportunity to live greater than that. I don't have to settle for that life any longer. I am now a saint of God. Do you guys understand the difference between the two? And when we live with that mindset, man, that transforms us. And we go, man, God, I'm your child. I'm a saint of you. God, I'm your holy child. And I am blameless in your sight. And God, now I get a chance to soar like an eagle and live the way that you've created me to live. Do you guys know what I tell myself sometimes, basically every day, when I fall short? When I make a mistake, when I screw up, which happens uh, far too often, you know what I tell myself? Or maybe for for you guys as followers of Jesus, you know what I would challenge you guys on or say to you if you made a mistake or you fell short? I would say to you and to me, man, we're better than that. You and I are better than that. Now, not in some condescending way, not in a way to make you feel like a total idiot, But in a way to remind you and I both that we no longer have to settle for this sinful life. We don't have to live the way that the world wants us to live. We don't have to live that way any longer. Because you and I are saints of God. That is our identity in Christ. And now we get a chance to live out the incredible mission that God's called us to live. We get a chance to experience this passionate love affair with God Almighty. And so why would you and I continue to go back to that life of sin and that life of dirt that God has freed us from? Why would we settle for something less than who God has created us to be and who we are? We're better than that. Jesus in uh, in Matthew chapter 5 is talking to the crowd. And he says something which in the message uh, paraphrased version just really just paints a great picture for us. And here's what it says. Jesus says, in a word, what I'm saying is this. Grow up. You're kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way that God lives towards you. And that's it. You and I are kingdom subjects. God has created us with an incredible identity. You and I are found in Christ, and we have a life like no other. And we don't find our identity in what people think about us or whether or not we make the sports team or what kind of grades we get. We don't have to constantly walk through life wrestling with, man, who am I? We look at us the way that God looks at us, as a child of His, as a saint of God, as a faithful follower of Him. And we walk through life with with boldness and feeling empowered to live out the life that God's called us to live. No longer have to settling for a secondary life. We are kingdom subjects. Now let's live like it. Let's live out our God created identity the way that God has called us to live. Now how are we these things? Is it by our own effort? Do we somehow push the right buttons to make it happen? Verse 1 in Ephesians he says, this is how it happens, by the will of God. It is God who wills it. It is God's will for you and I to be faithful followers of him. God has chosen us in Christ to be set apart, to live the way he's called us to live, to live holy and blameless in his sight. It's not something that we've conjured up or or pushed the right buttons to make happen. It's something that happens by the will of God. That's something that God has created for us. And more specifically, it happens because you and I are united with Christ. It's through the cross of Christ that we, you and I, have the opportunity to have this incredible identity. And we're going to talk about that more next week. So bottom line is this tonight. You and I, we live the blessed life. We get a chance to live like kingdom subjects. We get a chance to soar like eagles, to live out the God-given identity that we have. We are faithful followers of Christ. You, as a child of God, no longer have to, to walk through life wrestling with your identity and questioning who you are. You now look at this and you go, man, God, this is who you define me as. I am your child. God, you are passionate about me. You love me. God, you went to great lengths to prove it. And now because of the cross, you have set me apart to live holy and blameless in your sight. And I am a saint of God. I'm no longer a sinner, I'm no longer a failure, I'm no longer a mistake, I am a saint of God. What do you find your identity in? Do you allow the world to define it, or do you allow God to define who you are? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I thank you for the incredible insight that you give us and help us understand this life that you've called us to. God, the truth is we live a blessed life. God, because of your grace that you've shown us through the cross, because of your mercy, God, we have a chance to to be set apart from the old life. We no longer have to to scratch around in the dirt and mess around with the sin. God, you have called us to soar like eagles. You have called us to live out this incredible calling. And the amazing thought that we are no longer sinners who have the capacity to be saints. We are not sinners. God, you look at us and you see children of you. You see saints. You see perfection. You see holiness. Doesn't mean that we always get it right. Doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. But God, in terms of our standing with you, God, you look at us. Our identity is found in who you are. So God, thank you that you love us the way that you do. God, I pray for students in the room tonight who wrestle with this. God, it is a struggle daily or weekly in their lives. God, this has caused a lot of pain and a lot of hurt in their life. And it's caused them to make a lot of poor decisions because of it. God, I pray tonight that they would understand the depths of your love and how incredible it is that you give us this identity. We are now found in you. God, may it change the way that we live. May we act like it. We pray in your name. Amen.